Support comes from Empower Missouri's Week of Action with in-person and virtual advocacy training for affordable housing, criminal justice, and food security initiatives March 25th through 28th. Registration at empowermissouri.org WOA. Hi, everybody. This is Jason Rosenbaum, a political correspondent with St. Louis Public Radio. The St. Louis branch of Missouri's Children's Division has struggled for quite some time with a massive backlog of unfinished child abuse and neglect cases. But last year, officials within the Missouri Department of Social Services said increased hiring put the agency on a track to eliminate the backlog by September of this year. Earlier this week, I spoke with Children's Division Director Daryl Missy about whether that goal is still possible and why he feels the St. Louis office is on a positive trajectory. Here's my interview with Children's Division Director Daryl Missy. When we talked last year, you mentioned that there were 16 active investigators in the St. Louis region looking into claims of abuse and neglect when there should have been 60. Um, Now, when we're talking on Valentine's Day 2024, how many investigators are currently looking into cases of abuse and neglect in St. Louis and St. Louis County? We're getting close to the 60. Uh, they, they've not given me a breakdown exactly of how many people are doing investigations and how many folks are doing uh, uh, foster care case management, but our numbers are substantially better. At one point, we were close to 50% staffed. So I asked the, uh, yesterday how many folks that we have, and we have uh, 131 staff, three are in training, uh, we have 18 vacancies, which is a, which, you know, to my simple math means we're, we're approximately 87% staffed, which is the best it's been in a long time. And I'm, and people are starting to feel it. I was just talking with our, uh, our, our deputy director, uh, Tiffany Moore, who was uh, in the page office and she, uh, t- today, and she said, you wouldn't believe the, the, the spirit here. It's, it's, the, the morale is so much better because people are walking around and talking and actually there are people here and this time last year, she said it, it seemed like a ghost town, and it's not like that now. And so I, I think uh, the the staffing has come up to a place where people are starting to really feel like uh, we have we have folks that we need to start to really move the ball. Do you know how many of those people are still in training? Are are there people who you just mentioned? who are actually going out and investigating cases. They, they, they are going out and investigating cases, but I will tell you that there is a, an, an effort, I think a wise effort, to ease people into this, uh, you know, and to make sure that uh, we don't just throw somebody immediately into the deep end of the pool, if you know what I mean, so that, that a brand new worker is not going to be uh, assigned or made to do the things that, that a more seasoned person would do. But as you uh, probably could well point out, if we had 16 people before, the vast majority of who we have are are very new and are are and are uh, they're coming on and they're coming on uh, at a reasonable clip that I think that we are uh, really making an effort. I uh, one person gave me uh, well somebody from Change and Innovation who's a a, a uh, consultant that's helping us with the process of work in, in St. Louis uh, gave me numbers from last week. You know because we used to be we would just always run a deficit. We would get so many reports and and we would only be able to investigate however many of them. Well, we had 166 uh, six reports uh, come in last week and we closed. 
was 392 cases. So, so we, that's going in the right direction. So it's, it's, it, the, uh, the trajectory is promising. When we, we had talked last year, the average caseload for investigators was close to 150, which I, I would say is an almost apocalyptic number compared to federal standards, where, which should be like 12 to 15. Right. Do you have any sense of what the average caseload is now, now that there is more people on board? It's 56. 56. Which is still too much. Yes. Uh, but but uh, doesn't sound quite so apocalyptic, does it? When, uh, you know, uh, talking to the change in innovation folks again, they, they were talking that if, if they can get that number, uh, if they can get that number to 20 and under, it's, it's, a man, it's a manageable thing. And so, and a lot of those cases are the back due cases still, you know, cases where we've gone out, we've seen the child and we're just doing the follow-up. So the, 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 the strategy right now is keep up with what comes in currently and chip away at, at the at the back do work that we've already assured safety. We've looked gone out and looked at somebody, but we've got to do the follow up. That's that's sort of the approach that's being taken. Uh, it, it appears to be working. Our our regional director, uh, Felicia McKenzie, ha- has a plan. Uh, you know, giving giving folks a certain number of cases uh, per person, uh, all, all of them, including her and everybody, go out and uh, finish up these cases. She hopes to move a couple thousand cases in the next couple of months, and and that would at that clip we could have the whole backlog resolved by summer. Do you know what the the backlog is? And when I say backlog, it's cases that are still open after forty five days. Where where That's is right. it at this point? Six thousand nine hundred and sixty. Now that is is significantly down, and we and we're down from even like January fifteenth. It was seven thousand one hundred eighty one. So we're 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 really moving in the right direction. And and understand those are those are cases that simply aren't finished. Uh, the because you've got to do follow up. So uh, most uh, well, I, I will tell you that what has been communicated to me is that cases where there's a serious safety issue, those kids are being seen uh, or, or, or that's being checked to make sure that's not the case anymore. And, and the things that are, that are on the back burner and are, have been left over are cases where uh, we just have to do the follow-up. You know, we have to make the second contact. We have to, we have to check, uh, you know, uh, all, uh, other, other sources of information. So the, that work, and we have to do the documentation of all that, right? So that, that work is what is left in that, in that backlog of work. And I am hopeful, I'm very hopeful that if we can get fully staffed and we're, all, we're getting there uh, and these folks are, stra- are trained and will stay, uh, that we will really be able to uh, take care of that problem that people have been talking about for now, quite some time. So 6,960 cases, is that all open cases or is that only cases that have been open for more than 45 days? Oh, I, th- I think that's all of them. Okay. I- I'd have to confirm that for you, but I do believe I do believe that's all of them. But uh, understand, what we're trying to do is to get to a place where, uh, and, and I, I believe we're succeeding, where on the current cases that are coming in, we don't, we don't have them left over after a week. I mean, 45 is, it should be an outlier if you go past 45, trying to build a culture where that's the case. Earlier on, when we had no people, it just became hopeless, right? So uh, last week, for example, uh, there were, well, for a long time, we had uh, every every 30 days, every 30 days, you'd have 100 new cases come through that had been, existed longer than 30 days. When they looked at that number last week, okay, how many cases have we had that have, uh, are older than 30, 
you know, just got to the point where they're older than 30 days. It was just six last week compared to 100 this time last year. So that is really moving in the, uh, moving in the right direction in a way that I think is so encouraging because it means we're able to keep up with the current work in a way we were not able to do uh, just just six months ago. Well, the reason I asked that question about the differentiation between cases that are been open more than 45 days and just cases that are open is because when we talked last year, the number was 6,124 cases that have been open for more than 45 days. So 6,124 is less than 6,960. Right, right. But we, but we, had, we, 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 we continued to accumulate them, understand. We didn't, when we didn't have these people, we continued. And I don't know where it topped out. All I know is that at this point, it's going down. And the number of cases older than a week uh, have, have, have reduced significantly. And we want to get to a place where that the expectation is that we just don't get cases that are older than 45 days unless something is really uh, problematic and that you can't find somebody or there's or it's it's extraordinary. And again, when we talked last year, it was around like August or September of 2023. So you're saying that the caseload kept going up up until like January of this year, basically. Right. right. And I think you can I, I think you can point uh, rather directly to the to the pay raise is making a big difference. I think that the 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 work that was done in the in uh, in the legislature uh, to get us the funds that we needed to do that have caused us to be able to hire and retain people in a way we could not before, and it's making it's making a substantial difference. Well, let's get to that point because my understanding, and please correct me if I'm wrong, is that the legislature's uh, allocation of money. Raise the starting salary to what? Around forty-three thousand dollars a year. Yeah, or just so? just a little under that, right? Now, before I ask my next question, if somebody came in and applied for this job and they had some experience with child abuse investigation, so maybe they were a child abuse investigator in another state, is it possible they could be offered more than forty-three thousand dollars a year, or is it everybody that comes through the door? You're getting forty three thousand dollars. I would I would have to confirm this with human resources. They deal with they deal with all this. It's, it's outside of my my scope. But there are worker there are worker ones, worker twos, and worker threes. And I I've heard of people coming in as a worker two instead of a worker one, and they would make marginally more than than a than a worker one would. I I would you know I would like uh, for us to be able to do that and to take into consideration people's. Uh, uh, you know people's experience, and I think that uh, the state should consider uh, eventually, not in this session, but eventually, just saying across the board, we need a pay ladder for everybody. That that you know you're gonna you're, you are going to be able to stay in this job and make a decent living over time, if because your work, uh, your your experience of 20 years of doing this makes you know, uh, it has value to it. Budgetarily, that's not been able to be done yet. And there, and that, that conversation uh, bounces around among folks in Jefferson City. It's not a new idea. But I think, uh, you know, to the degree anybody asked me what I think would be uh, good for our folks, I think that would be important. And when you talk to people in the field, that you hear that a lot. You, you, when you ask for just absolute feedback, what are we doing right? And what could we work on? One of the things they say we could work on is making sure that we value our people who stayed around a long time. Well, the governor has proposed a 3.2% increase for all state employees. And I, right. and I asked him and his chief of staff, is there going to be more for children's division? And basically, with some exceptions, I think that like division of youth services, for example, where right. they are like 
essentially staff that are monitoring juvenile detention facilities 24-7, they're going to get more. But it's going to be 3.2% right. for, for, for child abuse investigators, which would go from about $43,000 a year to $44,188.09 a year. Do you think that's going to be enough to incentivize more people to not only work as investigators, but stay as investigators? I, I don't know. But what I think people need to understand is that what that communicates is, is that we understand that we understand that the nature of the task and how hard it is. And and uh, I, I don't know if that would that would be adequate incentive or not. The, most of the people who come here are doing this because they they have a heart for people. You know, they have a heart for kids and for families. And 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 that's why they're here. The where we were this time, you know, before before uh, uh, before the plan passed, before the governor's recommendation was accepted last year, where we were is people could not afford to stay. It was beyond just, you know, are you incentivized to come? The, the, the issue was, uh, could you actually afford to stay? And I, I think we're getting to a place where the answer to that question is yes. Uh, I, I think the, uh, the 3% raise this year would be, a, would be appreciated if the legislature uh, passes it. Uh, and I, I think that long term, as we look at uh, as we look at the amount that we compensate people, uh, people, of course, we have to look at the, the the folks who are dealing with the numbers have to look at what we have available. That's that's the that's the fact of the matter. I think that I will continue to advocate for this being among the most important jobs in state government and among the hardest. And and I think there's consideration given to that. You know, last year there's a philosophy of well, we're gonna we're gonna raise pay for state workers across the board, and we don't want to have to pick and choose which one has a harder time of it. But last year, because we had raised the pay with monies that we had uh, that we couldn't pay folks because nobody was here coming, you know, for, from folks we had not hired, that was included in that plan. So last year there was a substantial bump for children's division that not everyone got. Mm-hmm. Uh, and as, uh, some of our folks are making well over 18, 18 20 percent more than they were at the beginning of that effort. And that was, uh, and, and, and that was uh, significant and substantial. And I think we all have uh, Director Nodell and Governor Parson to thank for that because it has made all the difference in the world. I've talked with some legislators, primarily Democratic legislators, who, yes, are in the super minority, but oftentimes they have influence to affect budgetary matters. State Representative Rachel Prouty, for example, has said that increasing the salaries for Children's Division is going to be one of the biggest priorities for her over the coming year. If I can go down by the local Walmart and get, you know, tuition assistance um, and health care and things on day one, why am I going to work at such a hard job and be overworked and overburdened for 40 grand or whatever we're starting them at? And so that's not being competitive. you know, it's contrary to the focus or the claim of a focus of workforce development. The main workforce that the state has an interest in is its own workforce, state employees. And so that is a priority. My priority is, is to ensure that for these these departments that are working with children, that we are making sure that people, our employees, are there to take care of them. That is State Representative Rachel Prouty. She is a Democrat from Ferguson. Not only is she a member of the House Budget Committee, but she's also the ranking member of the House Children's and Families Committee. Do you think that not only in St. Louis, but throughout the state, if if people like Representative Prouty are successful and you get more than 3.2 percent, 
that's going to help your efforts statewide to recruit and retain investigators. There is no question that more compensation would make it easier to uh, recruit and retain quality staff. I think there's no question about that. And and I really appreciate uh, Representative Prouty. She's been a, a great advocate for our people and for our kids and our families. She's uh, consistently uh, been messaging that in all the hearings that I have attended and, and everything I've, I've ever heard. But I will tell you that in the legislature, I have found so much support for our folks there from all across, from all across party lines, uh, from everyone. And I, I think the only differences of opinion come down to what can we afford to do? I think if, I think if everyone agreed that we could afford to do what Representative Prouty just said, I think it would happen. And I think our folks would be grateful. So uh, I encourage that conversation. I, I think that, uh, I think that it would make it would make a difference to have a higher pay. It always would. Uh, we are grateful for the governor's recommendation this year of another raise, yet another in another year. Uh, and I've had people, I, I've had people all over our agency as I've talked to them say, "We've never seen this in our lives." I mean, the the amount of raises that have happened, the amount of movement that we've had on 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 the salaries and on the policy front, uh, that they they're all just so grateful that what has happened has happened. Uh, we'll be grateful if, if the 3% happens. And uh, I, I would not argue with uh, Representative Prouty's uh, assertion because I think she understands where our people are and she certainly has a point about more, more compensation is always going to help with recruitment and retention. We're talking with Daryl Missy. He is the director of Missouri's Children's Division. I want to play another clip from the chairwoman of the House Children's and Families Committee, State Representative Hannah Kelly, a Republican from Mountain, Mountain Grove. She doesn't disagree that Children's Division employees may need more money, but in her view, there has to be some fundamental shifts in how the agency is managed. Here's Representative Kelly talking with me earlier this year. Not everything rises and falls on money, because if you don't have a good structure, if you don't have good leadership within the individual layer of the department, you can throw as much money there as you want, but you've got to have people that feel inspired to come to work every day. I come to work here and at home in my district because I love my people and because I love this state, right? But I also have to have another job to be able to come here and do this. I don't come to work for the money, right? And it's it's got to be that way within our departments. We have got to have we have got to have the financial support so that they can focus on the job we're asking them to do, yes. Um, but we have also got to have the environment um, that is very very positive um, and supportive beyond the money. That's State Representative Hannah Kelly. She is a Republican from Mountain Grove and the chairwoman of the House Children's and Families Committee. Now, I think just implicitly, the fact that the St. Louis branch of the Children's Division needed management consultants and had a situation where they only had 16 investigators and had this really large amount of turnover indicates that what Representative Kelly is talking about has some validity. Because I don't think that any, any you would have had to take these drastic measures if there wasn't some systemic problems in this department or in this branch or any other branch. Is that fair to say? I think it is. I think Representative Kelly is absolutely right. When we, uh, when uh, Director Nodell and I have now been here two years, uh, which, which is is amazing how quickly that time flew, and and we found people who were utterly demoralized, uh, and and offices that were uh, 
really struggling just to get to get by. And from from my first day, I have been working on uh, the mindset on uh, on our vision. That is that is the. She's absolutely right. We can have all the money in the world, and if we don't have that, it. It, we, we have a problem. And what I've, what I've sort of set out as, as uh, our, our prime directive for all of you out there who are you know, fans of Star Trek, what if, we don't, if we don't do anything else, you know, what, what's our, what, what do we do? It, that is help people. Help people. And uh, people did not feel that way. People felt like they were checking boxes and, and, uh, and you know, plugging holes and just doing what they could do to survive, keeping their heads above water. I, I believe that, that across the state, we have turned the corner on that. People are ready. They're ready to help people. Our, our prevention efforts, uh, getting out front of these cases and being proactive, uh, they believed that we needed to do that, and we're really moving the ball on those things. Uh, the first thing I did when I came here was listen, and I went to all 46 circuits, and we had, uh, we had, I did vision surveys and asked them, what is it that you think we should do? Just handwrite it, you know. Don't no no check boxes. I'm not giving you the answers, and I'd read them all when I would go home. And and what I what I heard consistently. Of course, they wanted more people. They needed more money to be able to keep more people. But they wanted to help people. They wanted to be proactive and get in front of cases and and be able to help families before they had to have a hotline, before they the, the children had to come into custody. And then they wanted to have the time to be able to work the, to get those children home. And if they could not do that, to find them a home, they wanted to help. And I think that that spirit is out there everywhere. If you talk to our people on the front lines across the state, uh, that is the way they feel. And in St. Louis in particular, I, I think, and I think you'd find some of this in Kansas City too, that it was, it was worse here because the volume is higher. And if you look at the cost of living, the pay is lower, it, you know, because it costs more to live here than it costs to live in Poplar Bluff. It just does. And so the rent is higher. Uh, services cost more. Uh, a, a lot of, there's a lot of difference. And so uh, that's why these particular offices had struggles. And, and I think here there are some structural things we need to work on. Uh, one of the things that's in the governor's recommendation that we requested was that we uh, would receive two circuit managers here for this for this region because what happened is that, that uh, St. Louis and St. Louis County were merged into a sort of super circuit. During COVID, right? Right. I think it was in, I think it was in 21. They were merged into a super circuit. And wasn't and that because like so many people had quit or there had been positions eliminated and they, they just needed to merge that for to, to keep their head above water, basically? I, I don't know. I don't know what the rationale was, but sort of what I what I saw, what I heard being discussed inside the office when I was there was the idea that consolidation would be good and that it would be more efficient to do that. And, and I disagreed with that from the first day I got there because I came at it uh, from a person who worked in the courts. I mean, I came at it as a judge. And what I understand, we've, we are organized to stand uh, in conjunction with the judicial circuits. Mm -hmm. but the, and, and, and when you cross that border into a different judicial circuit, for at least for contracted case managers in particular, or, or, or our case, our foster care case managers, it, it becomes a different place. It, it becomes a different job in a sense. So what we're proposing to do is to have a circuit manager for St. Louis City and a circuit manager for St. Louis County that would engage those court systems and manage the people that work there and, and undo that super circuit. And we think that will help too, but uh, but there, but there's a bigger cultural piece of that too. People have got to people have, have got to be able to to trust each other and rely on each other and be in it together. And we're building that culture that 
that wasn't naturally existing here because of how stressful and difficult it was. Now, when I talked with several former investigators, they mentioned that one of the big structural problems of merging that into that super circuit is they could start their day in South St. Louis City and then have to go to like North County. That's right. So are you are you hoping that with enough staffing and with the hiring of these two people you mentioned, that you will just have investigators that only go in the city and only go in the county eventually. That that is that is completely possible with regard to what might happen. I'm going to uh, I envision that that is probably what's going to happen. But I want to talk with our local people to make sure that that you know how they how they feel about how that should work because sometimes that that I won't cross a line uh, situation creates some rigidity that's not healthy either. But one you know one of the things that happened long before I got here is they closed the South County office. Well, as a guy who comes from Northern Jefferson County, I know how hard it is to get from from that place to the Page office at particular times of the day with Highway 270 being what it is. And and so I'm, I I would like to explore reopening that. I would like to. Uh, I, I would like for us to look at those kind of efficiencies because that what you just described is something that that is a real problem. And oh, by the way, if you're an investigator and you've got that going on, you might have court. You might have court in St. Louis City at Vandeventer, and then you might have to run out to to Clayton, uh, and you might have to be in two places at one time. And that 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 just creates something that that isn't sustainable if you understand that this is driven by the court schedule a lot. So going back to the overall caseload, this is a clip from Department of Social Services Director Robert Nodell that he made uh, in September of 2023. It's no secret we've had a high degree of turnover and difficulty retaining workers, uh, especially, you know, everywhere, but especially in the St. Louis market. And so we have uh, beefed up our, uh, you know, our management uh, consulting there to make sure the best practices are being used that uh, that employees are being very well trained on best practices. And the good news there is we are now seeing, you know, week to week, you know, more more uh, investigations being closed than open. So that number of overdue reports is is being is being reduced. And, you know, we envision, you know, hopefully within the next year uh, that being eliminated. So uh, we, we are definitely, we're very early in this process. This money was available to us beginning July the 1st in this fiscal year. So, you know, we're obviously very early in that process, but we are happy to, uh, you know, see the beginning of trends. However, short staffing uh, in that region remains a concern. Uh, we are executing weekly hiring events uh, in the St. Louis area and having success doing that. That is Missouri Department of Social Services Director Robert Nodell speaking at a September 2023 hearing of the House Children's and Families Committee. So you told me what the number of the backlog was. Are you still confident that you are going to be able to completely eliminate it by September 2024? I believe so. I believe that we're going to be able to do that. And the reason is because we're going to be fully staffed. If we can keep the people that we've that, that have come on board and we, and we have retention and we have people who are able to stay, uh, I, I believe that that number, I believe one third of that number is going to be gone by April b- based on the plan that Felicia McKenzie has uh, in place and, and in action. And if it's not, it's going to be because something else intervened. But I, and and I, I believe that we will make serious progress over the summer because in the summer months, the number of incoming cases 
just, just goes down, and we'll be able to work on that backlog again. And if we get to September and they're not all done, I think we do a full court press to clean to clean it up. And you know, a lot of these cases are very, very old. And uh, you know, the question that you've got to ask yourself is: Do you re-traumatize a family with a case where you've determined that uh, it's probably safe? And I'm just doing I'm just doing uh, I'm just doing cleanup work. You go back out and show up again because it's a tra- we're a traumatic event, man. When somebody <laughs> you show up at somebody's oh, door. Oh, oh, absolutely. But I think that brings up the reason why I care about this so much. Yeah, there's going to be a large percentage of this backlog where it's unfounded accusations, or they can't prove anything. But even if there's a small percentage where abuse or neglect happened and it's possible that a child is is in danger long term, I understand your point about like if they're in imminent danger, it's dealt with right away. Like that's why the backlog is so problematic. Right. You, You don't you don't know what's lurking there. And that is that is a genuine concern. I mean, we don't know what is in that backlog that might exist that we didn't see the first time we took a look at it. But I believe, and that's why you have the that's why you have the process of double checking on these things, right? But my uh, my my firm hope is that uh, we're going to be able, that that we're going to confirm that those cases are all still okay the way we thought they were okay and we're going to be able to close them out and be completely done and that we'll never get in this spot again. And my hope is is that we will uh, we will catch up and stay caught up. That's what I hope happens. When I talked with you last time, you felt pretty confident that there was not a scenario where the backlog led to a child being hurt or killed. Are you I, still confident of that? Yes, because it ha- they're, they're the same they're the same cases that we talked about last time. Mm-hmm. There and and we still haven't had that happen. Uh, we have uh, and and listen, across the state, across Missouri, we have people making thousands of judgment calls all the time. And sometimes somebody's going to make a judgment call, and then something's going to happen after that, and it will, and that will be uh, something that you can look at and say, gee, should that decision have been made? Uh, I, I don't know for sure that there are not giant lurking problems sitting in our backlog the same way. I don't know for sure that some of the judgment calls that are made in the field won't come back to have a bad outcome. But I believe that if if there was anything that indicated to anyone that there was a likelihood of that kind of thing, those are not cases that would have wound up in the backlog. And so I'm hopeful uh, it, there could always be things that would, were unforeseeable or unforeseen that could happen. But I am hopeful that we are simply going to be able to get to those cases, confirm that everything's all right, and, and have a giant reset. In fact, we probably ought to have a party when we get there and have a giant reset that says, okay, we now have zero overdue backlogged reports. We're going to avoid ever getting in that spot again. How does Children's Division prevent itself from ever getting into this situation again in St. Louis? Well, I, I think that there are, there are uh, specific operational things that we can do. And, and uh, when I say simple, I don't mean simple, easy. I mean straightforward. Uh, there are straightforward things that we can do to avoid that from happening. But then there are bigger, broader philosophical questions. And the, the Operational questions are make sure we're fully staffed and make sure that uh, that we are supporting the folks that are doing the work, supervising them well, not having supervisors carry cases, for example, uh, and be able uh, to to keep up and clean up 
before that 45 days happen and, and create a culture where that is simply an outlier and that's not something that's allowed to happen. In the broader sense, uh, the entirety of the agency, I believe, is moving toward a more proactive approach to this work trying to get out in front of it. We have prevention workers coming on. That was part of the plan. That was part of in the legislature's uh, budget, 100 new prevention workers across the state who will help us get out in front of these cases. We reduce caseloads and then create more prevention workers with the people who are freed up for that. So we are more, being more proactive so that we're out in front of the situations before they turn into a hotline and that ultimately we'll have fewer hotlines. I think we'll be, have a healthier child welfare system when we get there. Uh, I think we'll have uh, safer and happier, healthier uh, kids and families when we get there. You can read more of our coverage of Missouri state government and politics by going to stlpr.org. I'm Jason Rosenbaum, and thank you for listening. Politically Speaking is produced by Sarah Kellogg, Rachel Lipman, and me, Jason Rosenbaum. The show is edited by Fred Ehrlich. Read all of our coverage at stlpr.org. And if you haven't already, make sure to subscribe to Politically Speaking by searching the term Politically Speaking on Apple Podcasts. St. Louis Public Radio's The Gateway gives you the day's news first thing every weekday morning. From the ever-evolving relationship between St. Louis City and County to developments in the Missouri and Illinois state capitals and reports from our correspondents in Rolla and the Metro East. We put it all in a roughly 10-minute package with clarity and context. Download The Gateway wherever you get podcasts.